0: Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Well, Hurricane Ian, Mm -hmm. it did not prevent us from having an awesome Saturday of football. We were talking just before we came on, we were like debating if it was the best Saturday that we've had so far, even though it was pretty condensed with only five games, but it felt really good from start to finish, thanks in part to Mizzou actually giving Georgia a scare. We had Mm -hmm. a great game at noon. It's a fun, fun Saturday after... A week that, I'm going to be honest, kind of sucked. <laughs> kind of sucked. <laughs> hurricane prep. Connor, I was, last
1: I talked to you, you were panicking about the hurricane. And I was just like, dude, how you doing? And I saw that you posted a clip of you and Joel Clad on Instagram. And I was like, oh, my gosh, he's fine. I'm good. It. We're good. Yeah, we we're know good. he's kicking.
0: Yeah, no, I, I and I like I I didn't want to be like tweeting and posting on Instagram throughout the storm or whatever. I, and I had a lot of people reach out, and by the way, if you listen to the show and you reached out or something like that, thank you so much. And hopefully everybody that is dealing with the after effects of Hurricane Ian or if you're still going through some some things with it, hopefully that you are are doing okay, you are safe, happy and and healthy and your your home did not experience too much damage or, or anything like that, but it was it's a weird week. It is a weird week prepare, preparing for a storm. It was scary down here on Wednesday night and some of the sounds that you hear that you just when you go to bed at night and you hear random things like that that are happening outside of your home and you're thinking to yourself, I hope a tree doesn't fall on my roof. This would be in there. Bad. Not yeah. fun. Not fun. But we're able to make it through it and without any sort of damage to our home. We never even lost power, which was great and I know there's probably people listening to this who have lost power and to those um, I, I hope that your your patience is, has been you've been you've been able to, to remain calm. You've been able to remain patient, you've been able to keep things collected. And hopefully you got to watch a fun Saturday of football. But yeah, Hurricanes um confirmed not a fan. Just mm-hmm. not a fan. Uh, don't don't need to experience anymore in my life and don't need to see all those images of the flooding like major major roads in Orlando which is so far inland I always tell people it's like Orlando's like 50 55 minutes away from the closest beach and to see yeah. that kind of flooding on major streets like you know Orange Blossom Trail where you're like wait what how it's underwater it's just you got to take a boat to get out there and cars are just like halfway up it was crazy to to see mm-hmm. that play out the way that it did, but yeah, it was, uh, it's been a week and, uh, Saturday was a great exhale after the week that was okay. We have a lot to get to tons and tons to get to, Got to tell you guys about Texas Pete. You know, I've been a, the biggest Texas Pete fan for uh, basically since they came on board as a sponsor of this podcast. Um, but in all seriousness, I, I love me some Texas Pete, and I kept thinking to myself, what am I going to be able to eat during the hurricane when we woke up and realized that we still had power on Thursday morning? And I said to myself, okay, I, I gotta go make some eggs, I gotta douse some this man said it's Texas Pete time, <laughs> it is, and I was like, I was seriously like rushing because. It was still, you know, the storm was still ongoing on Thursday morning, and you didn't know at any given moment if you were going to lose power. I'm going to whip up some eggs. I'm going to put some Texas Pete. I'm going to feel good. Uh, Texas Pete has the spice and flavor that's kicking this football season up a notch. If you haven't tried the original hot sauce or their new traditional barbecue sauce, run, don't walk, grab yourself a bottle today. Visit texaspeat.com for recipes and hot apparel. Plus take 20% off your entire order with promo code Saturday down South. That is all one word Saturday down South win big with Texas Pete. When you sauce like you mean it. Well, I thought we were going to be having just a few kind of random notes here and there about Georgia Mizzou Mm-hmm. and we'll lead it in the pod with it we are um if you need any reason to know why this sport is so bananas and why no Saturday is truly a given this game this game shows it right there it mm-hmm. does 28 point underdog Mizzou was after what we saw last week with auburn the game that nobody wanted to win they we you and I will. We, were, we could have collectively gone through that game last week and said, we would like to win this podcast. What will it take? Or we would like to win this game as a <laughs> podcast. What will it take? And they would have given it to us. Because they said, please. <laughs> please. A, a, a nice gesture. Um, just show some politeness. And we would have been able to get that win. But this was supposed to be a get-right game for Georgia. I thought the week of practice that Kirby was going to have with that mm-hmm. team was going to be hell. And this was anything but that. Georgia survives the scare, and it was a true scare. I mean, think about this. If you would have told me going into this one, hey, Mizzou is going to be up double digits in the fourth quarter, which is also when Georgia is going to score its first touchdown in this game, I would have laughed you out of the room and told you to go back to 2008. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was no world in which I could have seen that happening. And we don't take wins for granted in the sport. We don't. Georgia got the win thanks to uh, 300 to 100 yards advantage in the second half when they were able to make some tweaks in the – Kind of the run game scheme, what they were doing. They ultimately rallied back in this one, but it was wild. Well, even as somebody that was probably very dialed into the Tiger Bowl, which is quickly becoming a Sicko's committee game of the year candidate, oh, uh, very yes. Quickly, <laughs> were you, did you find yourself like, wait a minute, Georgia still hasn't pulled away yet? Because I'm always curious on like the, the tune in for people that maybe don't have that on their main TV and then they see something like this unfolding and how much it quickly you know, sort of garners their attention. So,
1: yeah, I was like checking in, like you said, during the commercial breaks and it was so wild because I felt like every time I looked over there, it was a Brady Cook just dime or a thicker kicker, just like kick that could have hit from 70. And I was like, oh my God, what is the game? Because it's like if Mizzou were to win this game, it would look just like this. It would look like a second coming of their offense led by their best player who is a kicker. And I was just like, Oh, this like Georgia looks lost. They can't communicate. And then Mizzou is just kind of like inching down the field. And then boom, as soon as they get in the scoring
0: territory, they would just convert. I if okay. If if Mizzou had won that game, we would have had Harrison Meavis on the pod this week. We, oh, still yes. might, we still might get him on the pod. Yeah, we're stopping it, this, really. Yeah, friend of the show. He was on the pod earlier in the offseason. Loved mm-hmm. me some Harrison Beavis. Loved the bounce back. The fact that he was so confident in that game. He made four kicks from 40-plus yards and two of which were from 50 yards. Some some mm-hmm. college kickers can't do that an entire season. And he was out there just drilling them, and it did not matter. And he was Mizzou's best offense in that game. And you know what? You thought Mizzou was going to have a chance because Georgia was getting gashed in the ground game. I mean, way more than any, any game I can remember in, a, in an instance like this. You know, Say what you want about Georgia – Throughout some of those lean offensive years that Kirby experienced, and some of the struggles that they kind of had with Fromm, and, and you know they needed to modernize their offense. But you're always like, okay, well Georgia doesn't stop the run, you know that mm-hmm. they're going to have that part figured out. Several instances of Mizzou running backs running free. Cody Schrader looked like he was about to go into the end zone to make it a twenty to three game. I don't know what that guy needs to do to be able to get one more yard, but man, he's <laughs> had some rough moments these last couple of weeks with just not quite being able to get there. Credit Malachi Starks, true freshman for Georgia. Who did not give up on that play and made mm-hmm. what ended up being one of the key defensive plays of the day? Georgia stops stops Mizzou at the one yard line, and Mizzou tries to go tempo. false starts immediately, has to settle for that field goal, and then they, this is when they were up thirteen to three. So instead of going up twenty to three, and all of a sudden we're like, oh my god, Georgia's down three scores on the road as a four touchdown favorite. What mm-hmm. is happening? It felt like Mizzou missed that opportunity, and Jordan Rogers totally diagnosed this on air. He said on the broadcast, we're going to look back on that and point to how huge that was, the difference of this game, and it was. It definitely was. Georgia did not play with that sense of urgency. And Well, we've made these jokes about the Mizzou defensive line over the course of the last year-plus now. We have. Yeah. They played well, man. They played really, really well. They made life difficult on Stetson Bennett. The first half ground game for Georgia was somewhat non existent. And, you know, I get it. Like some of the things weren't just. Mizzou controlling that when Stetson has the bad exchange, Georgia played a sloppy football game for most of the first three quarters of this. And big, by the way, big tackle on Stetson that Stetson had on that play on the fumble, <laughs> which also saved a touchdown, huge, <laughs> huge moments to be able to, to be able to have those like, Hey, what, what happens if Mizzou is actually able to get a, a touchdown, make it a three score game. Cause that would have happened there as well. And I, I know that Georgia had arian smith and ad Matt mitchell back in this one um but as kirby said afterwards they need some receivers to get to 100 mm-hmm. speaking of key injuries several in this game yeah jalen carter apopka's finest oh gosh Mizzou was making plays before and after he got hurt um, and he had the ankle thing. He's been banged up. It's been kind of a bummer of, of a season so far for him. I was really hoping that he was going to kind of come into his own. We we're going to see all these Warren Sapp comps really come out, and he was going to look like this top three pick for the full year. Because it's kind of cool. You know, I, I live in Apopka. He's from Apopka. I go to his high school on a, almost a weekly basis for a program that I'm part of. It was just, just kind of cool to see like the Jalen Carter tie. And he's somebody that admittedly I've I followed. I know people that that you know grew up with him as well, and so. I, 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 it killed me to see him get hurt that way. And I thought it was a chop block on first glance. And Cole kind of confirmed that he thought it was a chop block. And if Cole is saying this about an offensive lineman in that spot, I'm going to take his word for it. That's going to be a deal breaker for me. And look, I get it. The guy had a bad ankle injury to deal with, but still, it was just kind of a, a tough. Development for a very key player for that defensive line. And it wasn't just Georgia who had the key injuries. And this kind of gets lost in the shuffle of this game. Missoula is arguably their best player on offense and on defense in this game. Dominic Lovett, who's SEC's leading receiver as of right now, mm-hmm. um, he had a great start in the first half and got behind the Georgia secondary. I thought they really needed him late. He went down in this one. And then Chris Abram Strain, who's going to be one of the first corners picked in the draft. In NFL circles, they will be talking about this guy a lot. Um, I give him credit for trying to stop Darnell Washington in space, you know. But yeah, <laughs> oh my god, can you imagine six seven? What's Darnell on Washington? Like six seven two seven. I feel like they change the numbers every time he gets the LeBron treatment. Yep. where they just add ten pounds to him. Yeah. But he's one of the few since he's a football player that you look at and you're like, is he bigger than that? <laughs> every time ideas. I see him, I'm like, is he growing? Dude, he's huge, and he tried to hurdle Abrams' drain on yeah. this play, and he just like he gets the double whammy because he he gets like a kick to the face, and then he gets his own guy kind of falling on him. It just brutal, brutal development for Mizzou. Um, before we dissect what that really meant for Georgia, um, again, tip of the cap to Harrison Meebus, because that was, that was awesome. It was cool. Kind of with the chase Daniel thing where he tweeted out earlier, he was going to buy, you know, he was going to buy two hours worth of drinks, you know, in Columbia. And, and that would have been a a fun development to watch. By the way, shout out to big cat for donating two grand to, I can't remember which bar he donated to. I should, I shouldn't remember that, but he donated two grand afterwards for, for, the Mizzou, for the Mizzou fans because of how fun of a game that was because he was going to match Chase Daniel. Oh, I'd yeah. love to see that. Um, but if Mizzou had won that game with a defensive stand, think about this. We could have made the case that the kicker who missed a 26-yard field goal to win it last week responded by being the best player in a game to beat a number the number one team in college football. I mean, that's how crazy this sport is. Mizzou would never be the number one team. And to
1: your point, a a team that lost their best offensive and defensive player, and yet they had their best special teams player, and that was like all they needed for a long time.
0: Dude, He, I mean, he just was. And I'm usually not the person that's going to want to give a kicker credit. But, man, he was so clutch. You see him strutting. It was just so cool to be able to to see that. You know, Um, he didn't practice those kicks, Connor. No, no, <laughs> he's, he's
1: not a practice guy. So what? Like, no, got I know, they brought it up a billion times in the yeah. broadcast when he missed the the, the the short one. So, of course, you know, we got to give him credit when he makes all of these kicks because it's like, yeah, that's that's why he has all the hype. He's electric. That's the best yeah. way I could use to describe him.
0: It's like when I miss a four-yard a, four, a four yard putt in golf. I'm like, oh, yeah, it was totally because I didn't sit there and do like a million practice swings beforehand and pretend like I was Sergio Garcia or something like that. That's <laughs> right. definitely why that happened. Yep. Of course. Mizzou's defense is in such better hands with Blake Baker, and it's not even close. As frustrating as it is, I mean, (laughs) look, like Mizzou fans hated Steve Wilkes by the end of it. Let's be real. Right. It it was bad. It it was when he went to the Panthers, and I had to, like, I remember talking to Charlotte radio people who were like, oh, awesome. We got Steve Wilkes. He's got all this NFL experience. I'm like, Mm -hmm. uh, I. I don't know that you're going to enjoy that very much because uh, it was real bad last year for Mizzou. And they look better and lost in the shuffle of that disastrous game last week at Auburn was, hey, they pitched a second half shutout and they let up to three Mm -hmm. points in overtime. And against Georgia, for the most part, they looked pretty good. I think that's going to keep them in some games the way that they can get pressure up front. They really can. And, And I think that's going to going to make them a little bit more of a difficult team to play against for 60 minutes. Now, if they fall behind 21-7, to if they have all these three-and-outs on offense, yeah, that's going to suck. And it helped them that they were able to kind of get the the ground game going and they were able to actually give their defense a breather. It makes a big difference in a game like that. You need that. But I still think that Mizzou is going to be a little bit of a trickier team to play from a defensive standpoint. Offensively, obviously, they still got – a lot of work to go. It might not like change their ceiling, but at least gives them somewhat of an identity. Drink just missed his Toby Keith game. Yeah, dude. He just missed it. I mean, that would have been the ultimate. How do you like me now game? I mean, t- to have the week that was with all the Luther, the Luther burden stuff and all that. And by the way, he's like Luther Burden got targeted three times in the first nine minutes of that game
1: mm-hmm. of the
0: game last night. And drink yep. went in drink said afterwards, about dominic lovett not going into the game in the i can't remember who had this quote but dominic lovett didn't go into the game in this in the second half and and drink was like yeah we saw what happens when we leave it into the hands of the players to determine whether or not they're good to go oh man and i'm like i don't like how you're treating this i just don't i, I really don't or hey you're an adult how about that <laughs> when we allow
1: kids to make decisions what happens not good things so
0: yeah let's uh let, let's not maybe put the blame on the kids who are, who are trying to play. And instead, like, right. put put in the $4 million coach who's like told to evaluate these things. And I, I like drink, but I just thought that wasn't my favorite way to, to answer that question. You could tell he was definitely salty about that. Um, OK, so Georgia, lots of breakdown here. You <laughs> Look, said that
1: like a disappointed father. <laughs> he Say, hey, have a seat, Georgia. We're going to be here a while. That's I am up disappointed. to you, all
0: right? I am disappointed. I feel like. I feel like I just had a conversation with like my child who, uh, the, the night, like it was, it was Friday night and they broke curfew. Right. And mm-hmm. then on Saturday night, you're like, all right, you're going to be home an hour later. And instead they show up two hours after curfew and you're like,
1: mm-hmm.
0: what are we doing here? What, 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 what happened from week to week that we weren't able to make these adjustments because man, when, when, when they scored that, that touchdown on the bust and it was, uh, it was, it was yeah, the, the touchdown pass that Brady cook had in, in the corner where the tight, I think it was a tight end made like a one handed catch It was wide open. I mean, it was wide mm-hmm. open. And then George's sideline. I mean, those guys are just going at each other. First time Georgia was trailing all year, by the way, their last team in FBS to, uh, to have not trailed. And they were trailing for obviously most of this game. We're just like, Oh man, this is, uh, this is, this ain't 2021. And we, we, we said that last week, mm-hmm. very clear though. Um, when it happens in this fashion, and look, Georgia fans are going to say a win is a win is a win. Road wins in the SEC are hard. I get all that. We're talking about one of the three teams that we think can win a national championship. So you better believe we're going to over-dissect this. That's what we do.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Defensively, is, it's going to be a little bit more of a grind than the first three games indicated. That That much is very clear. And we'll kind of wait and see what what the status of Jalen Carter is. But if he's healthy or not, I, I think that's going to be the case. Kirby's just trying to have top 10 defenses in consecutive years for the first time at Georgia. He hasn't done that, which is kind of really? a weird thing. Yeah, yeah. It's, isn't that a weird stat? Look, I, I think that they might have that kind of upside, but this is kind of the way that it works. This Most defenses act like this. But, and they have moments where they're just like, hey, yeah, we have to make second half adjustments. And Georgia did. And you have a bad first half. And Georgia's defense last year didn't have bad halves, didn't really have bad quarters with the exception of the SEC championship. And mm-hmm. you get used to that. And when it starts off that same way, you tell yourself, OK, this is just how it's going to be. And it, it's just not like they might have a handful of these days where they're just not ready to roll on, on the road in the second half. And it's not uncommon for teams coming off a title. I'm not going to say it's a hangover thing. It's not uncommon for teams with eight new starters on defense that are still figuring things out. And that's evident. That's really evident watching this team. And I think that that, that's perfectly okay. They can't just be the tight ends on offense too. They're great. They're great. Like (laughs) may not be human beings. I don't know. We still haven't confirmed if Brock Bowers is a human being. I might have seen Todd Monk can take his microchip out after the national championship last year. I cannot confirm or deny that that catch that he made on the fade, by the way, where you're just like, this isn't fair. Guy That's should be like, man. And the dude's still like super duper. young. It's crazy, man. He's, mm. I don't I think he's going to be a ball by the end of college guy. Um, I, I think he's, he's heading in that direction with the receding hairline. He's he still 19. His 19 is going to be like yeah. Jason Tatum's 19. It's, he's going to be
1: 19 for like two years because you have so many highlights in there.
0: Yeah, he's he's going to. I mean, and, and the crazy thing is, is, I actually thought Washington was the more impactful player in this game with the way that he was being used. Yeah. Um. And, and I loved that he was being used in the passing game as much. Sometimes I think he's underutilized in, in the passing mm-hmm. game. That's a weird thing to kind of say. But still, having said that, as great as those tight ends are, they need the receivers. They need Ladd. They need Mitchell. They need Rosemi Jackson. They need Arian Smith. They need even Dominique Blaylock, who was able to make a play in this game. I still mm-hmm. really like this team. Again, they're one of three teams who can win a national title. And if you don't believe me, remember that Georgia hasn't lost a regular season game since 2020 Florida. right? Think about Man. that. 29-2 and Kirby is against the SEC East since the start of 2017. Mm-hmm. They're still going to win the East. I think they will if you're of the belief that the, that this is like a, a nine and three Georgia team, I I'd say maybe take a chill pill and kind of look back at past national champions. And we have seen teams like this kind of have to struggle. And what was Dabo's on game day talking about the 2016 Clemson team and how they had eight games that were decided by one score or something like that. And mm-hmm. Sometimes that's just the way that it goes. And it went that way for Bama last year. And it's not said that Georgia's going to play a bunch of one score games. I don't think that's going to be the case, but you're reminded that we maybe shouldn't assume that every week is a cakewalk, and that this team is good enough to be as undisciplined as it was. And credit Mizzou for making it way more interesting than I thought. Georgia's got work to go, as do most teams in early October. Will any any other takeaways from this game?
1: Yeah, so I think that kind of the okay. Let me try to like set expectations because you know Georgia's still okay.
0: Would you still vote Georgia number one right now? I was thinking about that earlier. I was thinking about that earlier, and it doesn't matter. Like it, mm-hmm. it it doesn't matter in terms of what George is trying to do if I say, oh, I'd rather have Bama, number one. I would give Bama the slight lean at this mm-hmm. point because of the way that they responded on the road, being being an Arkansas team who isn't going to be ranked in the top 25 probably, but I think is one of the top 25 best teams in the country. Um, so I would probably give Bama the slight edge ahead of Georgia, but it's really close between Bama, Georgia, and Ohio State. And I think yep. there's that's the clear, that's the clear top tier.
1: So yeah, I think that they're still like we're not saying that they're out of that tier. All of their goals are still very much in front of them. I will say the thing that's disappointing about them is with the way that they won last year, we knew it was kind of a defensive first team. And we knew that this offseason they would need to change their dynamic because you know you have Stetson Bennett who's 24. You have like this offense that's been together for so long under Todd Munkin and we're big believers in him. And you just knew all these guys were not going to be there on defense. You were not going to have Jordan Davis. You were not going to have all these guys that were the tone setters. And so you were going to need more out of the offense. And right now this looks to be honestly a little bit worse than the offense last year. And part of that, to your point is losing Burton. Um, why can't I think George Pickens? George Pickens. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Burton, George Pickens, like losing some of these receivers and like the guys just haven't stepped up in that receiver room. And as great as these tight ends are, and we talk about them all day. And it's I the best collection of tight ends maybe assembled in football history with all the guys that could be, you know, first, second round picks. I don't know what Washington ceiling is, but if Eric Gilbert gets right, we're talking about like a special, special group of guys. And isn't that a sentence that stays forever? Anyway, so point being they like, but they have the best tight end room ever. But at some level, when you have Stetson Bennett, who is a good quarterback, okay, at some point we got to see it. Georgia fans like this guy. You guys were selling us all off That was oh his yards per whatever just as good as Bryce Young. How come he's not getting this? Okay, you see what Bryce Young does in these moments when he's down in these games for no reason, and that's not the vibe you get from Georgia. Their offense is still behind, and so I think that like they changed the whole game in college football last year because people said you couldn't win like this anymore, and they sure did. They did. But yep. now, now it's like okay, where Georgia is feels so different at this moment. I'm not I'm not overreacting. I'm certainly not. But they still have questions to answer in games like this because if you're a team in the East, if you are Tennessee, if you are Florida, if you're Kentucky, you look at a game like this and you're like, any year we could get in there and get in a game like this with Georgia and win. You never feel that way about Alabama. As much as I hate to see it, we'll talk about Alabama later in a way that they lost Bryce Young and came right back. You, you don't trust Georgia like that at this point because of their offense. So credit to Mizzou. Mizzou played an amazing game. Like we were saying, Brady Cook was throwing dimes. And I think the story of the day should certainly be Mizzou. And I think we had some positive peer pressure from Mizzou's defense. It was like whatever the opposite of rat poison was, we yeah. gave them rat food.
0: The yummy rat poison. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. We gave them whatever the opposite of that was. But I don't want to take away from the story of Mizzou because seriously, if you're drinking drink, if you're Mizzou coming off of that Auburn game, you felt like it couldn't get worse. And then – you know, we're an anti-moral victories podcast, but I feel like on Sunday, Drink has got to have a big smile. He's gotta have, you know, he got guys involved. He answered a lot of questions against the number one team in the country. And so they obviously have a lot to do at Mizzou. You know, it's not like they're there yet, but I think that this week showed a lot from both sides and not necessarily in a great way for Georgia.
0: That would have bought Drink another two years of security. That would have, if they won. If they had won. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go back to I mean, go back to South Carolina. 2019 beat yeah. georgia i guess that only got must champ another another year but you know you you get what i'm saying it's that mm-hmm. would have that would have been pivotal um the stetson heisman conversation that i was having two weeks ago and <laughs> statistically he's fa- he's definitely fallen off i mean he's got five touchdown passes through five games i think stetson's had mostly good moments and i think he's still continuing to improve mm-hmm. you're not gonna win the heisman with numbers like that you're just you're not that's the, the way that this that that this all sets up and the way that people look at numbers now in this day and age that's probably not going to happen unless he all of a sudden just starts averaging four or five touchdown passes a game for the rest of the season like that's mm-hmm. that's what we're talking about but that take that for what it is i i do think that we did get to see Stetson actually have to come back and throw the ball 44 times in a game and win which mm-hmm. that's 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 still pretty new, and I know that he he won the national championship with a with a fourth quarter comeback, and he was brilliant in that game. But throwing the ball forty four times, I mean, that's not the Georgia way. That is not the Georgia way. And so, you do feel a little bit encouraged by that if you're a Georgia fan, being like, okay, well, at least we've kind of seen him in this spot now. But yeah, it was a game that I thought you know Georgia fans were just by the end of it, they're like, oh my god, just. Get me, get me out of here. Get me to next week. And mm-hmm. we'll, we'll, we'll put the, the national championship. How good is this team conversation on, on the back burner? Um, okay. Let's go to Bama, Arkansas, wild game, wild, yeah. wild game. Uh, the swings that we saw in this game, game of runs. That's what basketball is supposed to be. This is yeah. a game of runs. This was a total game of runs. Cause Bama gets out to the 28, nothing lead. Arkansas scores 23 consecutive points and then Bama foot on the gas explodes in the fourth quarter. This one uh, big takeaway, obviously Bryce Young goes down ever since Bryce Young became Bama's starter. And I'm, I'm curious if you feel this way too. I found myself wondering if there was going to be a time in which his style perhaps exposed him to an awkward injury out of the pocket. And that's not to say that I'm just, one of those people that's like, oh, he's too small to make it in the NFL. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But in this day and age, with the hits that you're going to take throwing with such high volume, the way that they try and do, and the way that he likes to operate, I wondered if when that was ever going to happen. And to his credit, 20 consecutive starts, and he's been super durable, even though we took a ton of sacks last year behind a less than vintage Alabama offensive line. yeah, We finally saw him leave a game after he took an awkward fall trying to escape. Of all people, Drew Sanders, right? Yeah. When they showed the play where he was throwing and they tried to break down the replay, and they're like, oh, he didn't hit his finger on a helmet or anything like that. Like, I wonder what it was. And then they were able to f- figure out, oh, yeah, it was when he took the awkward fall, like tr- like three plays earlier, and then they gave him a couple of handoffs. And you know, they show him going to the sideline. He slams his helmet down. Um, mm-hmm. And it's very rare to see Bryce Young kind of lose his yeah. cool. He praises poise that was a, that was a unique moment to kind of see the frustration there. Um, And Bama was rolling early. I mean, Bryce was gosh, even Arkansas fans. I'm watching them tweet about Bryce Young and they're like, Oh, so this, this is it. I kind of get it now. I kind of, yeah, we love KJ Bryce, KJ. Uh, Yeah. Different levels, different levels. And took advantage of that Arkansas secondary that we had, we had criticized and, you know, Bama is looking like it, it's rolling. And for for the first quarter of that game, even though Bryce had the pick, too, I still kind of was like, oh, man, he might compete for that 559 passing yards that he had last year that set an Alabama record in this game against Arkansas. He might mm-hmm. hit that again. Um, but instead, that's not the way that this game plays out at all. And Jalen Millro comes in when Bama's up 21 to nothing. And then it got interesting. Uh yep. Will, when it was 28-0, not only did I tweet that it was the most deflating loss in the Sam Pippen era, you texted me like, Hey, I'm about to flip on, you know, Oklahoma State Baylor I, on the second screen. I said, No worries, I'll text you if it gets interesting.
1: <laughs> you just go, it gets interesting. <laughs> it, it got interesting.
0: Yes, it, it very much did. I thought they were about to get rolled. I thought this yeah. was about to be 52 to 7. I think every Arkansas fan would probably agree. I yeah. only got one person who said to me when I sent out that tweet, "Oh, so you're giving up on us? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, yeah." I also it's more of up. a belief in Bama, probably. Yeah, more of a belief in Bama than than a, a lack of belief in Arkansas. But um, I look credit Sam Pittman's team for scoring 23 consecutive points, putting Bama fans in this state of disbelief with Young on the sidelines. Seemingly out for the game. That's what it it looked like was going to happen. And sure enough, that's what did happen. They fought in this one. Arkansas did fight. They finally started helping out KJ. KJ got more decisive. The ground game found some lanes. More importantly, Arkansas's defense finally stopped getting gashed because Alabama basically stopped throwing. They stopped Mm -hmm. throwing. Jalen Milrow. So Marler texted me this. And I was like, wait a minute. Is that right? Could that possibly be right? Jalen Millrow, the second half. One of four for three yards. Mm-hmm. That's it. They gave up on the passing game. <laughs> they had three runs of 70 yards. in the I second was going to say, unfortunately they started running. <laughs> yes. Um, Arkansas though. I mean, they, they stayed in this game and it looked like they were getting those key stops. And when they pulled off that onside kick, Oh my gosh, down 28 to 14 to right after they make it a two square game. You're like, Oh, I think that's when I texted you. <laughs> mm-hmm. It got mm-hmm. interesting. Uh, shout out to Gary Danielson. No idea, no idea what the hell he was looking at on that play where the ball is clearly past 10 yards that you need for an onside kick. But darn it if he didn't try and convince us that there was an actual decision to be made by the officials. I, I've i defended Gary before. You know that. I, I try and give people a fair chance. I do. I always try and see the opposite viewpoint. I always try and be like, all right, well, Surely somebody has to know that he's good at what he does. And I think Gary does have his moments. He was terrible in that game. Terrible. Lost. Oh, yeah. Just, he, they were, they were clueless at some very key points. And if I have to hear Gary compare KJ to Cam Newton one more freaking time.
1: <laughs> it's getting, yeah, it's getting problematic,
0: I would say. I I am, I know we love the SEC on CBS. I will not miss that duo. 1%. Yeah. 1%. There are well, so about, many better duos on ESPN.
1: How about immediately after the Bryce Young injury, both him and was it uh, McCarran? we were just like, oh yeah, that's a rotator cuff injury. He's done for the season. Like what? immediately. I was like, can you just relax for a second? Like can you just what we heard this whole thing about medical professionals all week. It's like why your whole job is just to talk about what's happening and send this kid some well wishes. You don't need to be like, "Yeah, no, I I felt that exact pain before. His career is over." It's like, dude, relax. What?
0: Like how how would you be able to dissect that in, in that moment? Yeah, like okay, say it's a shoulder injury. Right. Saban said afterwards, shoulder sprain, kind of wait and see. Didn't think it was serious. Yeah. Again, we're recording this 10 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning. We'll wait and see what the status of Bryce Young is. Um, But still, I was like, they were were all over the place on a broadcast, and and it was really bad. The saving grace for MAMA in this game, Jalen Melrose gets meaningful reps. Meaningful reps in a football game, and I would call them meaningful. Would you guys? <laughs> ooh, they turned meaningful. They became. It was looking like they, he wasn't going to have any meaningful reps, but play of the game. Not even close. Third and fifteen. Yeah. Bama's Bama's up twenty eight to twenty three. They're deep in their own territory. It's looking like they're about to punt the ball back, and Arkansas is going to have a chance to take the lead. And you're watching this, thinking, "Holy cow! I can't believe this is this is actually happening." Mm -hmm. Not so fast. Jalen Milrow. Arkansas actually has the play defended well. Remember when I blasted Utah for turning around in man coverage and not spying Anthony Richardson on that long touchdown run? Remember remember Mm -hmm. when I said that? Mm -hmm. Arkansas actually spied Milrow. They did. Bumper Poole. He's got like 10,000 career tackles. He -hmm. was there. He was ready. Milrow made this cut that seemed to surprise Poole. Like he was almost... Like he thought he was going to try and run through him or something. He was just like kind of caught a little bit out of position. And then boom, Milrow was off 77 yards in that spot. The difference in the game. And I know Jameer Gibbs, who was phenomenal, had the two just beautiful long touchdown runs late. His first two rushing touchdowns of the season, by the way. Um, Different ball game if Milrow, who could have probably balanced a stack of books on his head with how perfect his running form was. I kind of noticed that the fourth time watching that play. Um, if he doesn't make that play, does Arkansas win that game? They might.
1: Yeah, it's it's hard to, yeah, dude, to your point, it's like, it's hard to explain. That's why live sports is so awesome. But it's like, in that moment, every single thing was going against Bama. And then you just get that feeling of like, oh, cool, they get another one of these. Like, you're just like, oh, oh, this guy, like, I've you know, I've heard of him. Yeah, whatever. Didn't think it was ever going to, like, thought it was going to matter eventually. Not lately, you know. And you see him running, you're like, like you said, this guy is the prettiest running form I've ever seen. This guy looks like beautiful, and and it's like somebody compared him to um, um, somebody compared him to Hertz, but it's like no, he's almost like chunkier. Like it's like he's wider, and like his strides are just so like picturesque, and it's like I I would be scared to get in front of him. I feel like it's just if he looks like a locomotive, and you're just like okay, well, yeah, they got this now. It's just, it's like, okay, well, we, like, to your point, So you have know, Heisman winning quarterback, he's the best passer in football, he's the best quarterback Alabama's probably ever had when you break down ability, and then he goes down, it's like, Arkansas, you got an onside kick, dog, you're rolling, you're rock and rolling, it's like, oh, sweet, swap monster, never mind, everybody, mind. Yep, it's a Demogorgon, yep, everybody never, back up, we're screwed again. Yep.
0: <laughs> Didn't seem fair that they just pulled pull Jalen Milrow out, and, and he was able to make a play like that, but, Bama did play in a one-score game in the fourth quarter for the seventh time in its last 10 SEC games. Yeah, But given the circumstances and how Alabama kind of got the ground game going late, they had the explosive pay- plays in the passing game early. Oh, my gosh. Um, I, I if, if I'm a Bama fan coming away from that, obviously the Bryce Young thing is going to be at the top of my mind. But I came away from that thinking, well, that was really encouraging to see that response and you're feeling like okay this this team has been through call it adversity call it you know whatever you want but this team kind of learned a different way how to win they didn't have bryce young to come in and save the day and that's the biggest thing that we've said about this team in these spots since the start of 2021 is that it's always bryce young you know late in the game he's gonna put on his cape and he's gonna he's gonna save the day and when you don't have him and it forces you to kind of grow up a little bit and i thought bama kind of grew up Mm -hmm. um we talked about this for Arkansas coming in. You asked the question, what happens to Ar- like where does Arkansas go if they just get smacked in this game, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know that Arkansas necessarily suffered a beatdown because scoring 23 consecutive points, being a third down stop from getting the ball back with favorable field position chance to take the lead in the fourth quarter. That's not necessarily getting smacked, but the issues. Right. Miles Slusher is just going to continue to get cooked if Barry Odom puts him in spots like that. Yeah. I don't mean to just sit here and dog a kid. That first quarter from him was it was a it was a tough watch. Mm-hmm. He got burned badly. And not by not by Jameson Williams or something like that. All right. Like yeah. dude's getting burned by Kobe Prentice. By really whoever, to be honest. <laughs> Didn't matter. I I don't know how Barry Odom is, is continuing to put them in that spot without it. I mean, Miles Lester is supposed to be the over the top help. And instead he's trying to act as like a slot corner who doesn't have good enough positioning to play. Even when he gives a guy a five, 10 yard cushion and it just doesn't make a difference. And this is partially why that Arkansas pass defense is so bad when they cannot sack the quarterback. I mean, think about this. Bama had three passing plays of 40 yards in the first quarter. They had one. All year, all year entering the game. That's it. And it's just... It, it, was, it was frustrating from that standpoint to watch this Arkansas defense after we're like, oh, hey, maybe they figured some things out against AM. And I was like, no, nah, it's just AM is pretty A&M crappy. It is is actually terrible, as we would learn later. Um, yes. We definitely look. Uh, but simultaneously, I guess. Yeah, simultaneously. You're flipping back and forth and you're like, oh, yeah, this was definitely more of an AM thing than, than an Arkansas thing. But yeah, the problem with Arkansas right now, on top of that, you've got some pretty inconsistent pass catchers. And look, I, I think that KJ is, is great. I love KJ, but. You know, the indecisiveness in a game like this kind of hurt him. And against any solid defense that awaits on the schedule, this really difficult schedule that Arkansas has has like you need more balance. You just do. KJ missed some throws and and it and it hurt them. But this is a, a team that, in my opinion, is decent. With a few obvious strengths and a few very obvious weaknesses. We're talking about trying to figure out who these teams are. We're going to get to Ole Miss in a second here. We still didn't really know who Ole Miss was going into week five. I think we know who Arkansas is at this point. Like, we do. And the problem is that when you start off 0-2 in SEC play, you got an uphill climb because everybody else knows your strengths and knows your weaknesses, and they're going to be able to play to that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, any Anything else besides what we've already kind of hit on? For this game and uh, my my hope in the early in the fourth quarter in this one was that this was maybe going to make the SEC West a lot more fun. And now I'm just kind of thinking ah, two through seven is going to be fun still, <laughs> but Bama's Bama's going to win the division.
1: Yeah, I think. Um, OK, so a couple of things. Man, I have been. My whole Twitter feed looks like red right now with the amount of like Alabama fans I've been agreeing with. It's taken to me counter with all the Tua stuff on Thursday and then all the Bryce Young stuff and just uh, complimenting Alabama. My Twitter feed is the most pro Bama it's ever been. But anyway, the algorithm is valid. big of you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, so okay, so I'm sure they're going to be nice about this. Uh, Barry Odom just. Horrible day for that defense. Horrible. To me, can't be overstated because going into that game, we talked about what could this game look like. And we both said, if they need to stop that vertical downfield passing game immediately, because that's how Bryce Young got cooking last year. That's how we broke that record. And after a game like this, you're sitting there wondering like, okay, is Barry Odom ever going to be in a game against Alabama? Because whenever Bryce Young was healthy, they were whooping them. Yep. Bryce Young went down. And if, this is a very simplistic view, but you look at the quarter scoring for Alabama 14, 14, 0, 21. So it took them a quarter to figure out how to go from the best passer in football to not having a passing game and then start whooping Arkansas again. They made so the adjustments on Alabama's
0: side, and Arkansas I didn't. Yeah.
1: Yes, exactly. And if you're a defensive coordinator, you know, Obviously, your prayers go out to the kid. You never want to see a guy get hurt. But that is as close to a gift from a defensive game planning standpoint as you can get is to have Bryce Young no longer play in a game and go, okay, the stuff that was working, they can't do anymore. And to then go, okay, well, now they're just going to run the ball down their throats. It's like, how is a defense – you about to say something?
0: Well, I was going to say they they also had the one play two with Burton where Burton had – I think it might have been Slusher again where he had to beat deep and Milro underthrew him. And yep. if it would have been probably a walk-in touchdown had they completed that. So it was like, yeah, you had the passing numbers late and you held Bama from a passing standpoint, but it easily could have been really skewed had they actually <laughs> been able to, to throw an accurate pass. But I, I agree with you. It was it was frustrating to see Bama just find different ways to just kind of like show, okay, we're one step ahead of Barry Odom.
1: Yep. Yep. And I think that as an Arkansas fan, you have to start asking that. That it's like, okay, this version of Arkansas got us to hear. You like some of the things out of the offense. I was talking to you about it. How like sometimes Art, like um, um, Kendall Bryles and like this pairing of him and KJ can kind of start to get sideways on plays. Like whenever momentum yeah. gets away from them, they start instead of like they start going east west, and they start getting him to do all these weird motions that he's like obviously not comfortable with. That's can be a problem, but I think their offense is like mostly fine. I'm really asking questions about this defense simply because if if. The teams that were lined up to take the field, including the Heisman quarterback, played. There was never a comeback. And I texted you about it that as soon as Bryce goes down, you know what I'm saying? The Alabama defense gets a three and out. Kool-Aid gets this awesome special teams play, and then Bamba just walks into the end zone yeah. at Arkansas. It's like, dude, you need to be aware that, like, this could be a momentum-shifting play, but that's how Bama beat you. They sneak these little points in here. They sneak these little points in there, and you look up, and you're like, wait a minute, we were, we were it was a five-point game, and now it's double digits, and we feel like our back has just been broken. How did this just happen? And it's like, no, 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 all those little things added up, and you were you were stuck by like the big swing of the onside kick, which is an awesome coaching move. I love that they did that, but at the same time, it's like you got to clean up that other stuff if you want to hang with Bama.
0: Do you just start playing like two man fronts and just try and get as many, much, as much speed on the field as possible. If you're Arkansas, I mean, like is because if you're Barry Odom, you have to make adjustments based on what yeah. you've seen through the first five weeks. You, you have to be able to make those adjustments where you've had essentially I'd argue four days in which or four different games for your five games, in which your past defense has let you down. And I'm including this one because when Bryce was out there, he was torching them. He's yep. absolutely torching them on the back end. So you, you have to be able to make adjustments moving forward. Arkansas is now. I mean, we knew that we had this game pegged as a loss coming into the year, and the schedule Mm -hmm. does get a little bit more favorable. But I still think this is like uh, we're we're looking a little bit more like eight and four type territory, pretty similar to to last year. Top fifteen showdown, number seven Kentucky, number fourteen Ole Miss. Just a bananas game that Ole Miss finds a way to win because of the defense. The defense. They forced the two turnovers on Levis late to be able to win this one. Um, a lot to dissect with the way that things played out for, for both sides. Kentucky, a, a little bit of bad luck and a lot of self-induced errors. And I'm going to get to the self-induced errors. But the bad luck being that you have your, your starting right tackle cramp up at a key moment of the game. The backup right tackle gets burned on that play. Levis doesn't sense the backside pressure. And then you know where the play, the play on the previous drive where he's too reckless with the football after picking up the first down, he fumbled in the red in the red zone, down three. Will Levis has to try and find that balance. That's a continued issue for him. You can't turn the ball over twice in those key spots. You also can't take the safety when you've got a path to be able to throw the football away, and he ends up getting his finger bent all six different ways, looking like an offensive lineman out there, which is kind of fitting, right? Like he's an offensive lineman at heart. That's that's Feels the like most it.
1: like Will Levis moment is him just like, like slammed down for safety. You're like, what are you doing? And you immediately go, Oh gosh, I'm so oh, sorry. I was
0: mean to you. Yeah, no, that was a rough play. That was, you gotta be able to get rid of the football and that's, that's going to be something that's dissected. And, and especially when you have all these people who are talking about, you know, the NFL draft stuff and he's got mm-hmm. a lot of eyes on him every single game. And when they're talking on the broadcast, McDonough and Blackledge are saying like, Oh, number one pick in the draft. And, all these different things and lane kind of had some fun with that afterwards Uh, to be able to, I don't know that he was trolling Levis, but it definitely sounded like, ah, you know what? Our defense kind of got the best of him. And by day's end, they they did. I mean, Levis does some things that are so frustrating and he does some things that are excellent. And mm-hmm. you can see why that would translate to, to the next level. Because if you're a coach, you as, I mean, as Tebow said, Tebow said on, on this pod with Anthony Richardson, he wants him to be going hundred miles an hour, making mistakes if that's what he's going to do. Just play at that speed and don't be okay. indecisive. Will Levis, he definitely goes at 100 miles an hour. Now, I think the indecisiveness sometimes does kind of hurt him. And when he's you know trying to make a play, trying to make a play, when you need to just be able to take the easy play, and he's not always willing to do that. And it's like, all right, you don't need to be a superhero trying to go through three defenders here when you can pick up a first down, probably in a little bit of a more efficient way. But that's easier for us to say at home as opposed to the guy that is wired the way that Will Levis is. He's like a Jeep going
1: 100 miles an hour. You see like the wind starting to pick up, the top's rattling. It's like, buddy, slow down. You're not supposed to do this. Chill.
0: Yeah, (laughs) because this car is not meant to go this fast uh, at this pace. Um, Kentucky fans will kick themselves about that for a long time. Think about this. If Kentucky wins, maybe it's not guaranteed a top five spot with the way that things played out on Saturday. I still think that their resume, if you kind of look at it, would have been better than Michigan. I could – Make a case that it's better than some of the teams that were ranked ahead of them if they had been able to win that game by having then road wins at Ole Miss and at Florida. But instead, he gave away five points in the kicking game. You had the kickoff return with Barry and Brown, where he looks like he's going for six to take the lead. He trips over his own guy and then they don't end up scoring on that on that possession. You had two turnovers in the red zone in the final four minutes to stall potential go-ahead drives. You had a potential go-ahead touchdown of Dane Key waved off because Will Levis didn't let the receiver get set. If he waits, I think Nick Rouse was talking about this. If he waits 0.1 seconds, that's a touchdown. And mm-hmm. and Kentucky takes the lead with essentially what, like a minute left. Kentucky is nobody to blame but itself. I mean, that's that's reality because I mean. That game was sitting there for Kentucky. Absolutely sitting there. Held Ole Miss to 80 rushing yards in the final three quarters of that game. After I said to you, I'm like, I think Ole Miss might – What did I say? Ole Miss going to run for for 300 yards yep. easily. Yep. And and it looked that, that way too. I mean, they were, they were
1: unstoppable
0: on the ground very early, yeah. And Kentucky looked better on the ground with C-Rod back because yeah. C-Rod makes a difference. How many different times did you have to watch C-Rod just get hit at the line of scrimmage and then a play where – not to dog a kid, but Cavassier smoke probably goes backwards. C. Rod instead goes forward like three yards Mm -hmm. and you're reminded. Oh yeah. This is why we love him. The yards after contact. He's so important for what they try and do. He looks good. You're able to kind of give him that volume that you're hoping for. If you're Mark Stoops, speaking of Stoops, he's still winless in sec West road games. Yep. Never won one. It's weird. It's bizarre. They covered. So take that for what it is. But weird, just very strange that they cannot find a way to win that game. That was just mm-hmm. sitting for them. And it felt probably for Kentucky fans like some pre-Mark Stoops type, you know, shenanigans late, finding just new ways to be able to, to lose. And that's the frustrating thing if you're Kentucky is that you're really close to being 5-0 and and you have a really solid team. We'll talk about that later when we kind of break down the best one-loss teams in the SEC but that was a blown opportunity. That's, that's the difference between going to Atlanta and not going to Atlanta, in my opinion. You, you've got to find ways to, to to win like that when it's sitting there for you on the road and you don't capitalize on those opportunities. Kentucky fans, before, before we move on to, to to the Ole Miss side, any, anything else on the Kentucky side about why that day was frustrating?
1: Yeah, I just think that it's like stoops. Pretty much every successful player that Stoops has embodies his personality to a certain degree. And it can be a great thing that these guys are all foxhole guys, right? But then the other side of that, it's like they all have similar flaws. Like, talked about Rod, Has a fumbling issue. Like, just wants to get that extra yard. Wants to make the hero play. Same thing with Levis. And it's frustrating to watch these guys because you know how badly they want to win. You know how badly they want to fight. But you see Levis in these moments where it's like, you know, here box score watching, you're like, wow, what a great day by Levis. But then to your point, i I forgot even about the safety because there was so much other stuff that had happened. It's like he has these two fumbles and a safety. And it's one of those you're just pressing too hard. And I don't know why this football team makes everything look so hard. Like a 10-yard pass looks as a five-yard pass looks as completable to that offense as a 70-yard dart. Every pass. Which they've had those. They've had the 70-yard
0: darts there. That's the interesting thing about this. And and
1: that's what Levis is great at. But it's like every time he winds back that arm, it's like just a slingshot goes off and it's just like And it could be, you know, like threading through defenders, hitting a guy in the numbers, whatever. Or it could just be bonking a guy in the head. And you just really never – and he had a great day. It was efficient. I'm not saying he's bad or anything. But you saw all of his strengths and all of his weaknesses in the same game. And they're very similar. And that's what's a little bit scary about him is it's not like he's like Herbert where it's like, okay, you have this crazy arm strength, but you're a little bit skittish. It's like, no, no, you're like Herbert with like burrow brain, where you think you could make every play.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that that should be the game that NFL evaluators watch to figure out, all right, are you going to uh, spend a, a top draft pick on Will Levis? That should be Mm -hmm. the game because that that lets you know kind of what you're getting into. You're exactly right. Mm -hmm. I think that kind of summed up who he is right now at this stage of his career. And, you know, you can you can win with a guy like that, in my opinion, but you can also have some really, really frustrating moments. I need to give credit to Chris Partridge. The old Miss oh, defensive my, coordinator. My
1: boy. I've never seen somebody and immediately been like, we'd be homies, me and yeah. you, Chris Partridge.
0: You probably so if if you're listening to this, you're like, who's Chris Partridge? Do I do I know who that is? Uh Chris Partridge is the guy in the video that went viral afterwards, wherein he's just having a good old time celebrating that fumble <laughs> with, with all the coaches in the booth. Great clip to be able to have that. It was kind of the anti Ken Dorsey thing after the way that played out. A he's he's a big
1: boy and he he was going through every big boy state of jubilation. When you got the shirt. That's a little bit too tight. Yeah. You start celebrating. Your belly starts bouncing. You got your shirts your shorts kind of start to ride down, but he didn't care. I was like, this guy would hang out with my Cajun family and we would be best buds. Like You're- I,
0: Go ahead. I was well, they, they didn't have that camera angle, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, because I used to be a big connoisseur of the oldness assistant's camera <laughs> shots because of Rich Rod. Yes. And I feel like with Rich Rod, they had the camera from higher up and they'd be looking down at him. And in that mm-hmm. moment, that probably would have we're not here to fat shame, but that would have helped Chris Partridge probably. But that video is also not as good if we get that angle. It was better that we were kind of looking up at them and we were able yeah. to get that kind of celebration.
1: Yeah, as Levis being one of our guys, there's never been a quick, quicker gear shift because it's like, oh, no, Will, what are you doing? They cut the Chris part, and I'm like, yeah, no, this guy's happy. Okay, yeah. I'm back in.
0: Yeah. Uh, look, and I, I, like I said, I, I need to start giving him more credit. I, I still think of him as Rashawn Gary's high school coach that Jim Harbaugh may or may not have but definitely did bring on his staff so that Rashawn Gary would commit there, um, mm-hmm. which – Correct, through Marbaugh, it worked. Worked I, out. He got John
1: Gary. So yeah,
0: I mean, dude was coaching high school football like six years, seven years ago, and you know he's been able to. He was also Gabriel Pepper's high school coach as well, Paramus Catholic in New Jersey. Yeah, really good powerhouse program, that big time recruiting ground. Kind of pre IMG before IMG got rolling. There, uh, a lot of great players that that came from that school. Um, Wait, did you hear the anecdote real quick about his him leaving to go to start like run his mom's business? No, I didn't. He, I Did they say that on the broadcast?
1: Oh my gosh, yes. I'm, I'm glad I did bring this up. So literally they kind of told a little bit of that story and they were like, yeah. And then his mother like got sick and she runs like this business in like New York City. So he just like, temporarily retired from coaching took a hiatus took over her business for three years and then came right back into coaching and now he's on this i was like wow are you serious dog like i heard that i was like okay
0: like again this is my boy right here i'm thinking about like what it would be like to take over my mom's photography business and take three <laughs> years off of of writing and podcasting and then to come yeah. back to it just be like oh yeah and then and then he ascended into the and and connor became the next Wright thompson It's right like, well, okay <laughs> Uh, maybe that's a little bit too much praise for Chris Partridge. He's not quite at the, those kinds of levels just yet. But still, we we I question the Ole Miss defense coming into this year because they've been pretty bad in recent memory. Even though they were improved last year, I question what they were going to look like this year. I question what they were going to look like this week because of the injuries. They made some huge plays in this game. And even in the red zone, they kind of found that, that – that second gear to be able to make those, you know, to whether it was getting pressure on Will Levis or being able to, you know, have that hit on him on, on the fumble. And look, the AJ Finley, the, the targeting, we talked about this. If you're a Kentucky fan, ask yourself this. And this was the play where Levis fumbles the ball. It's helmet, helmet contact. Clearly. If you're a Kentucky fan, did you think it was targeting in real time? No. Probably not because, Levis lowered his helmet and Finley was already kind of that low. So I, I think that's a tough call. I didn't really like Blackledge coming back from the break and then yep. saying they they got a, Kentucky fans are going to be really frustrated because this should have been targeting. I'm like, Levis kind of delivered the boom to a certain extent on that one. If he's the one lowering his like, that's not, that's not what you're trying to take out of the game, right? Like you're, I, I don't necessarily think that was the fault of the defender. And that would have been a fair way to kind of penalize, especially in a key moment like that. And like, that was some injustice to Kentucky. I, I, I thought that was within the confines of the game. If you ask me, but it was two guys that were trying to make a play and ultimately, you know, Levis, the ball security on that play was what kind of did him in. It wasn't necessarily just like, Oh, the targeting and, and clearly like, you know, he took a shot at his head and then the ball came out or something like that. And that's kind of what they framed it to be. And I wasn't really crazy about that.
1: Yeah, and they came back to it after the other fumble too. They were like, well, you know, that fumble's devastating. But if you're a Kentucky fan, yeah. you should be even angry at the other one. It's like funny. That was like an hour
0: ago at this point. Yeah. Okay. Not really on board with that. But that was kind of the theme of the day for Ole Miss. They, they play yeah. very physical on defense. They do. And previously, Ole Miss had scored at least 29 points in every SEC win under Lane. And Saturday was a much different story. It really was. Outside of Quinshawn Judkins, who's a stud, Ole Miss did not have a ton of offense after that first quarter. I still don't think Lane trusts Jackson Dart a whole lot, especially mm. throwing over the middles. Kentucky had some of those tip passes where you are like, oh boy, this, this could get hairy if, if they if they make one bad read, like he was tiptoeing on some pick six type stuff, I thought with the way that he was he was trying to target guys where he just like wasn't seeing linebackers. you're like, man you can't, you can't fit that ball in that spot. don't do that. don't do that. that's that's bad, that's really bad. Um, Connor, if i had
1: superpowers i wouldn't like save the world or anything i would just listen in on like lane kiffin on saturday and bill belichick on sunday because the stuff he's probably saying you know, that headset oh his God. Quarterback is making bad decisions like, cool so where do we get this guy from yeah <laughs> like, he's so funny man i like but it's funny because he saw that happening i think he does a really good job and that's what they said in the broadcast that dart came to Ole miss like because he was so good at working with different kinds of quarterbacks and their strengths and weaknesses and to his credit i think it was a great offensive game plan by him
0: yeah, I, I thought it was too. And, and Ole Miss adjusted in game and kind of saw what what they what they needed to be able to do to to hold on to that game for for dear life. Even though they really you know had some key plays where they got stuffed in the running game in a way that they kind of haven't. After that first quarter, they haven't really been slowed down like that um, for a significant period of time. But um, and by the way, I tweeted out the the video of Lane where he kind of gives like the one arm push to Michael Trigg after he had the. it was was the penalty on the false start where they were going to go for it on fourth down on that Mm -hmm. first drive. And like, I'm not, I'm not sitting here. I'm not sitting here saying like, Lane absolutely can't do that or anything like that. And some people took me tweeting that out as like me saying like, Oh, I'm trying to cancel lane or something. I was like, (laughs) no, I actually think lane just doesn't really get that emotional. I thought that was pretty significant given the fact that it came in the first quarter like that. And he was that fired up for a game that was at, was at noon. And it's, you know, it's like, that like lane is lane's ready to go. And this, this kind of that maybe that set the tone for for the rest of the day, but I I thought that was more so significant. For Ole Miss, look at the way that the schedule lines up. I had this team starting off at 8-0 in the cre- in the in my preseason crystal ball at Vandy. Home against Auburn at LSU. That's what they need to get to 8-0. That not, not seeing
1: too many losses in there, Connor. I
0: mean, <sighs> Then you end with AM, uh, you're at AM. Then you get home Bama at Arkansas and then home for the Egg Bowl. Mm-hmm. I'm not willing to say that it's a 10-win team yet, just because I think Kentucky, I think you can make the case that Kentucky might have actually been the better team for the majority of the day. Ole Miss gets the win. Mm-hmm. I think given the opportunities that were sitting there and credit Ole Miss for taking advantage of that, I'm not doing the thing where I say, oh, Kentucky lost the game. Ole Miss Ole Miss did deserve to win it. That's not what I'm saying at all. There's always a winner. There's always a loser. That's the way that sports work. And if you don't think that's the case, then I don't know. Uh, Unless we're talking about Mizzou and Auburn last week, in which case that just felt like they were two losers. right? But I do think that Ole Miss with the way that it's playing defense right now, that's, that's everything. We'll wait and kind of see what the depth looks like. But for now, there's something to consider here. That first playoff poll comes out November 1st. Mm Mm-hmm. So that'd be right after the AM game. How high will Ole Miss be ranked? Is really interesting. You can't answer. Yeah. You can't legitimately answer that question. But will Ole Miss be ranked in the top four of the first playoff ranking? There's a path. There's a path. Yeah. And that's. We'll wait and see the way that that plays out. But I at least think that's 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 really interesting. And I I do find myself in like okay. Ole Miss more and more of an identity. This game went pretty similar to what I what I thought it was gonna the way that I thought it was gonna play out. I Ole Miss winning this game by three and thought that Kentucky could have some some errors and, and Ole Miss was able to, to close the door late. Anything else in this one?
1: Um yeah, I think you know it it's disappointing. And in the preview, I said that you know, if um Mark Soup was ever gonna win this game, it would have to be this game. Mm. And you saw that he they came out and they played their brand of football. It wasn't up and down like Arkansas Ole Miss last year. It was like hard-nosed football. Stoops, like you said, they the pace of the game, I think, favored them a little bit, and I think that both teams played incredibly well. This is exactly – I mean, this is what you want in an SEC game, period, but it's a dream in that noon slate, right? Um, I would just say to your point, I came away with this with a very high opinion of both teams. This is one of the few that I feel like you know was a positive on both sides because there was definitely a game script where Stoops could have gotten blown out, and I hate to call that a moral victory because they were a higher-ranked team, but to your point – They were not favored. So like I I think that like a lot of people kind of counted soups out. So I think that they played really well. I will say really quick, it sounds like an aside, but it's not. Um, (laughs) As a longtime DJ Durkin slanderer, this was a great weekend. Because Chris Partridge came out and basically proved that, that that team can play great defense. Because D.J. Durkin has failed his way upward over and over and over again. And he was at Ole Miss. And people were just like, oh, well, you know, the defense isn't really the problem. Oh, they got this and that and this. and That's oh, the back up.
0: of defensive coordinators. Yes.
1: Oh, they're giving up 40 points, but it's certainly not D.J. Durkin's fault. Oh, if we just gave D.J. Durkin more time on the same weekend. Okay, we're what, five games away from D.J. Durkin? Ole Miss shuts down. This great quarterback, this great running back with a new defensive coordinator. And DJ Durkin, the fail upward king, gave up 42 points to Mississippi State. So I'm just saying
0: 35. They had the block kick and that can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not too funny. Sorry. Sure. <laughs> you
1: know what? That's a good note, Connor. Yeah. I just want to be honest in this podcast. And honestly, That's DJ right.
0: Durkin was holding that team back. And I did
1: not want to be mean and get into the whole why I don't like DJ Durkin. But we can just talk about his marriage as a football coach now. It seems like they're in a much better place now than even at points when they had Corral. Because yeah. their defense is not horrible, because they have a dude who looks like he knows what he's doing out there. I'm anyway. more,
0: <laughs> I'm more on board with that. I, I agree with you. I, I, I watched like they get put in really good spots, and I, and I don't find myself thinking that their defense is a total liability. Mm-hmm. And they, they can, they actually, in my opinion, still have some room to grow. The narrative, of course, could be way different if we're talking about, you know, Barry and Brown scoring that touchdown on the kickoff return or, if you know, any one of those things at the end of the game happens, Levis calls the play, you know, mm-hmm. very briefly later. So I don't want to overreact necessarily too much, but I do agree with you. I, through five weeks, I think that the Ole Miss defensive regression that we thought was, oh, that was inevitable. And I understand they got run on by Tulsa. They absolutely did. I and mean, They're not a perfect unit. But they're, 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 good. they're definitely going to be competitive, and I don't think that they're going to be the liability that I personally thought they were going to be coming into the season. Mm-hmm. Two more games to get to, but first... I want to tell everybody about something that I think is going to become a mainstay in whatever sort of tailgating grill setup that you have. It's October. It is the perfect time of year to be grilling in the South. Just saying that out loud makes me want to go to the grill and fire up some steaks. There's nothing better than being able to grill in some crisp fall weather, whatever you call that here in the South. Grill blazer two awesome revolutionary products the grill gun it's the flame throwing torch that you can use to start your charcoal grill in an instant which is so much better than struggling with to light those coals or you can use the you can use the sous vide gun to get the the sear on your meat, the exact sear that you want, if you do like to to do the the sous vide process, which is becoming more and more popular, you cook your meat to that perfect temperature, but you're like, hey, I still need to be able to get that sear on. I don't want to necessarily eat a steak; that doesn't look like it's got that that seared those seared in juices. The sous vide gun is perfect for you. This thing is incredibly cool. You're gonna bust this out of barbecues, and people are gonna be like, wow. They know what they're doing. They are a master of the grill. It's unbelievably powerful. So make sure that you read the manual, read the safety instructions if you're going to be taking it to your tailgate. Make sure that you have all of those things taken care of. Become a master. Go to grillblazer.com where you can get 10% off your order. Go get one if you want to change the game for your grilling experience. Two more games to get to here. We tease this one here. Uh, A&M in Mississippi State. Mm-hmm. Remember when I said AM fans should enjoy last week's win against Arkansas and appreciate how their team bounced back with consecutive top 15 wins after App State. Remember, kind of that was the takeaway, right? Yeah, we were all there. Yeah. This was why. This was why. It was ugly for AM. It was beat down by Mississippi State, no Anaya Smith, and it showed. Max Johnson. <laughs> oh man. He was perplexed. And despite Jimbo telling Alyssa Lang at half that they were moving the football and that it was just the turnovers that were the difference. I personally did not think 112 yards of offense in the first half was a sign that AM was moving the football. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. I'm not an offensive guru in the same way that Jimbo Fisher is. I he was going to say, say neither wants. is Jimbo. So that makes two of you, Connor. Perfect. Perfect. am has got a little margin for error. We, we know that. They beat Arkansas because they avoided turnovers. How many turnovers do they have in this game? They had four. They have yep. four. Max Johnson with backside pressure. Is a wing and a prayer. And Will, when I texted you that, you sent me the picture of the behind the back pass against UCLA. Yep. I think of that every time.
1: Yes, because it's like you have to understand how, how out of your mind you have to be the symbol of the thoughts in that moment. And that's the human we're working with here.
0: Yeah. Where you just it's the it's the mash all the buttons, hope for the best. No yep. idea what's gonna happen. Get this. Billy Lucci pointed out this stat. AM's first four trips to the red zone resulted in Mississippi State outscoring AM seven to three. Let me, let me read that again because if you just heard that and you thought to yourself, well, surely that's not possible. Connor, what are you talking about? AM's first four trips to the red zone resulted in Mississippi State outscoring AM seven seven to three. That's basically impossible, mm-hmm. right? That that's like getting the, the SAT score that's less than if you had just written down your name, right? Yeah. The block field goal that was returned for a touchdown, as we just talked about. We can't count that against DJ Durkin, not against him, just against mm-hmm. AM as a whole and isn't winning games when it turns the ball over four times or probably when it gets sacked four times. Devon A. Chain can only do so much. He and Derek Hall, uh, my num- my two leaders of the clubhouse and the dudes who deserve better. I, I don't know that there's anything kind of after. Eh, Tank Bixby as well. Those those three guys, leaders in the clubhouse, that column is going to get written. I'm eventually going to get there. We'll-, we'll We'll just speak it into existence love the talent of, of Evan Stewart but you saw what I what I was talking about with Emmanuel Forbes on him that that's a veteran two picks in this game for Emmanuel Forbes that that play late after Johnson got hurt um was just a clear miscommunication with with King and with Stewart Forbes turns it into six and got beat by a better team mississippi state basically just gave alabama this perfect blueprint to beat AM in that matchup next week which I don't know that you really needed it because we kind of already felt like we knew what AM's flaws were, and it played out in a very convincing way in Starkville. But think about this. Remember the the emergency pod, the Jimbo Sabin spat. Mm-hmm. And our takeaway, everybody's takeaways, we're not alone in this, was can't wait for October 8th. <laughs> can't wait. College game day is going to Kansas. <laughs>
1: They sure are, Connor. You know why? Because Texas and has lost to Appalachian Appalachian State. We learned that one in Mississippi State before they can even get there. Yeah.
0: That's uh, that, that's telling. Yeah. When Bear Bear tweeted that out, he's like, Yeah, we're going to Kansas instead of that game and instead of Texas and Oklahoma. So uh yeah, that's that's telling. And by the way, I, I love it when Game Day does that. I am I am the guy that every single time somebody says college football is better when this program is good, I'm like, shut up. Let me watch Kansas be five and zero. All right. Yeah.
1: I, Those teams have plenty
0: of advantages. Yeah.
1: It's uh, yeah. to your point, bad. dude. I you know I do need to be nicer on this podcast. You're right about that, but I can't be. I can't help but be happy with the people for the people of Mississippi State when you beat a team like Texas A and M. Sure. Where you have you know Mississippi the stuff they've gone through in Jackson and everything recently, and they're just kind of you know they've been there kind of my whole football conscious. They obviously before that were kind of struggling, but since Mullen has gotten there, they have built this program brick by brick and they have gotten a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better. Contrast that with AM, who has just thrown money at the problem over and over and over again and have not taken any of these hard steps. They've hired DJ Durkin. They've hired Jimbo Fisher. They've gotten in transfer quarterback after transfer. They've done all these little quick fixes to try to win now. And you see they go into Stark Vegas in that stadium, you know, that's half the size of theirs with that big TV board and those really loud cowbells. And they just look lost. And it brings yeah. joy to my heart because that's what we love about college football. We love seeing this big Goliath team kind of mosey on in there and just get smacked and you think for that moment it is about the program maybe it is about the culture maybe it is about what they're building in Starkville versus just trying to put a band-aid on it in A&M and it's just they're not there's nothing sustainable there right now and you take it on the road and that's what happens
0: I always know how confident Will feels about a take because I start to hear the table pounding. You're like Nebraska in the press box, right? <laughs> of the
1: anti-Nebraska
0: yeah. fans, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, you're right. And this is a team that I think coming into the year, look, nobody would have said Mississippi State is definitely going to be better than A&M. It's very clear Mississippi State is better than A&M. It, yes. It is. And, I mean, they beat him in all three phases of that game. Mm-hmm. I, I Look, Mississippi State's even out here running the football. I mean, they had 144 rushing yards in this game, which I'm pretty sure. And maybe this is just one of those things that in the the deliriousness of 16 hours of of watching college football that I got sidetracked. But I'm pretty sure maybe I dreamt this. Leach handed the ball off on fourth and four at one point of that game. Mm -hmm. Like, who is this guy? What 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 are they doing? Leach is slowly, very slowly adapting. And maybe that's because he'd like to have a prayer when that Alabama matchup rolls around and he saw how bad it was last year, even though he had a quarterback and a group of receivers that he felt really good about. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's part of it. Mississippi state is going to be a team that is going to frustrate everybody that it plays because of how difficult it is to prepare for both of what they do on offense and on defense. Mm -hmm. It's as simple as that going into Stark Vegas this year is not going to be a picnic. It's just not. I mean, I don't know how many times we got to watch Jet Johnson make huge plays for people to start realizing how good he is. He's mm-hmm. excellent, man. Like he—he he is one of those guys that if he was—if he was a four-star recruit or something like that, or if he—if he was one of those guys that was playing for for an Alabama or for a Georgia or something like that, he would be a household name in college football. And there's no doubt in my mind. He and Emmanuel mm-hmm. Forbes, like, but those guys are just—they are studs. They are so so good. And even in a game in which. um, who is it? Daniel Watson got got ejected for uh for targeting in this one. You're kind of like, ah, you know what? Maybe they'll 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 take a step back defensively or something like that. Nope. Nope. They're just good. They're really good. And they took care of business in the way that you would hope uh a team that has showed their ability would in that spot. And now uh that's that's a really interesting matching matchup coming up. Arkansas, Mississippi State. Mm-hmm. That one is uh that Arkansas is going to be in a dog fight. That is a really difficult matchup with what a literal dog in. fight, a literal dog fight, dog dog and hog fight. That's what we'll call. Oh, it. we love a good dog and hog fight. Who doesn't? Yeah, Traylon Burks. Shout out to him. Um, okay, let's uh, let's let's close out here with uh, the tiger fight. <laughs> tiger bowl was just so on brand for this one. It was. Oh, yeah. It was if you would just if you told me before this game, Connor Auburn's going to take. Seventeen nothing lead, and you gave me a list of outcomes. What's going to happen? Yeah, three turnovers in the final six minutes. LSU is going to find a way to come back from a seventeen nothing lead on the road. yep so, yeah, okay, yep. Yep. no big deal. Oh, no by the way, LSU, questions. No further questions. LSU is only going to have eighty passing yards. Yeah, no big deal. Whatever. LSU is going to find a way to win. Peter Burns, great point. Very less miles win. For LSU oh, yes. this one. Listen, for so the Brian
1: Kelly hard. downers, he has had the most two less miles wins I've ever seen with my own two eyes. He oh, was yeah. down three quarters in Mississippi State, and had what uh seven points and then came all the way back. And it was just in this poo fest with Auburn that was just back and forth and back and forth. And the whole time you're just like, you know, I actually don't feel terrible because this isn't as bad as the Mississippi State game.
0: it's, it's it wasn't. And you know, look. It's kind of hard. Like if you just looked at the box score, this one, you would have a really tough time processing it. You would. Yeah. I mean, that's and booty had two catches for six yards. They sure did. I, LSU got half of its passing yards on a busted coverage on a wheel route that John Emery nearly tried to hurdle over. Let's let's maybe stop trying to hurdle from the five. Let's, you know, like there are only a few guys who can do that. Just, yeah. just a five. I don't know. Let's let's hurdle from the three. Let's be a little bit more safe about this. Let's, Let's kind of dial dial the hurdles back. Everybody's seen Saquon Barkley take off in the five, and they think they can do the same thing. It's like ah, you probably not on that level. Fine.
1: Yeah, these these poor guys at LSU, man. Every time they got an inch of open space, they were just like, "Look, B button, we got to do something here. We got to make some space." I don't
0: blame them. I don't blame yeah. them. And John Emery looked great, by the way, for LSU. If you're as bad as it, uh, of a day as it kind of was offensively, John Emery is returning to. I shouldn't even say returning to form because he's the five-star guy who has really not quite caught on at LSU in the way that many hoped and thought he could. But I thought he ran super hard in that football game and the mm-hmm. the, play, the touchdown run that he had, where he's able to, to kind of break through at the line of scrimmage. You see that lower body strength and why people were so high on him as a recruit way back in the day. So that was the positive for for LSU for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Auburn, the stat just keeps getting worse, and I hate to keep bringing it up, but it keeps. Just making me say this is this is bad, and I don't see any way in which this changes. Mm-hmm. 21 points in the second half of their last eight power five games. Man. Mississippi State had 21 points in the fourth quarter on Saturday. Alabama, mm-hmm. 21 points in the fourth quarter. 21 points in your last eight second halves against power five competition. That is hard to do how how does that continue to happen where even if you're an Auburn fan watching this you know your team doesn't have a second it doesn't have a chance in the second half and it doesn't it didn't matter that they come out looking fantastic I mean they had I think 200 Auburn had like 200 yards in this game in the first 19 minutes and Robbie Ashford who RG3 said on this podcast during the week reminds him of him I'm kind of thinking rg3 knew what he was talking about i got i'm I'm more and more on board with that and Mm -hmm. you're like oh my gosh he's he's really kind of turning into exactly what auburn could have hoped for and he's making all these off script plays and then man it just shut down there's no adjustments and tank bigsby still going like a quarter without carrying the football and i get it jerko's hunter was great in this game and you want to keep feeding him the rock and it's tough to give Bigsby a ton of carries if you can't stay on the field. But then it's like, well, maybe you should give him the carries and you'll have a better chance to stay on the field. So it's maddening. Right.
1: Yeah, it's like, hey, buddy, it's up to you to put him on the field, actually. Yeah, so it's it's funny, man. These were like two coaches that were allergic to doing what worked. And watching that happen against each other was so chaotic. Because to your point, like Josh Williams was in Revelation. He came in and I was like, oh, this is like the walk-on guy. that like everyone's kind of mad he was getting carries last year. And he started the game amazing on the ground. And of course, my dumb self was just like, oh, yeah, like maybe we don't even need John Emery back. First carry, just like. 30-yard, made Love five it. guys miss, touchdown from John and Maria. All right, happy to be wrong. Looks like the rushing attack's going to be fine today. As soon as Denbrock saw that work, he stopped doing it immediately until they needed to kill clock at the end of the game, and it was obvious they were going to run between the yeah. tackles, and then he did that. And then on the other side of the ball, yeah, it's like Auburn, you know, and I texted you about this too. It's like Bo Nix did it last year. Like when you have a quarterback that's such a mercurial athlete, he loves living off script. So he's going to have four or five plays a game that just he hits a guy downfield. And instead of like going to their strengths, they were just. Kind of making him do non-Rabby Ashford stuff, so it was an incredible losing contest. But to your point, I have one of my coworkers that uh, went to Auburn, and it was like, yeah, we need we need a seventeen point cushion. And you texted me, you were like, the most LSU thing ever would be LSU to somehow find a way to score here, make this a three point game. And once once LSU scored that yeah. second touchdown, it was like, oh, this game's over. Brian Harsin is not gonna like a three point cushion isn't enough for this coach in the second
0: half. And it's so weird to think that that a team up seventeen to nothing at home. Could mm-hmm. have such little chance to win a football game. And, you know, we, we play the results on trick plays on every single trick play. If it works, it's the greatest mm-hmm. invention. What? Wow. What an unbelievable coaching decision. Look at the cojones on that guy. And then if it doesn't work, it's the worst thing ever. So I'm going to play the results a little bit, but the coy more. <laughs> <laughs> Man, him, him throwing passes in the red zone to try and uh, give you a go ahead score. A little too cute, a little too cute. I
1: mm, um man, coy Moore versus Ladd McConkey in terms of like potential Russian asset the SEC is very hard against Kent State. I'm talking about with um Ladd McConkey. But yeah, dude, the fact that a wide receiver was responsible for two turnovers and neither of them was a fumble. This man threw an interception and then he got his chain snatched at the end of the game by Greg Brooks. And it was like, mind you, LG starting quarterback went down. Like they had Dustmire and yeah. he looked lost and it name. was still, yeah. yes. And it was, how did Auburn respond? Two straight turnovers. Oh, and it's like, God. and as soon as Jaden goes down, I was like, well, we're not scoring any more points this game. So hopefully, There's... you know, hopefully 21 enough. But yeah, they're going down the field. Everything's working. You get a big play by Ashford and then boom. Yeah. They just a little soft underneath throw and Greg books just completely takes the man out of uh coin And that's the end of the game. And it's just like, yeah, you know, what do you do about that? If you're Auburn, how do you fix that to your point?
0: So Coy Moore went on the war report and yeah. this made the rounds, said that he was LSU's best receiver while he was there. And he didn't transfer because of the depth. The guy's interviewing tried to set him up. They're like, ah, you know, crowded receiving room, you know, find a new home in Auburn. And he's like, oh, I didn't see it that way. It's like that. That's, that's a tough look. And the, the pick and then getting the ball ripped away, getting his chains stolen. Like you said, <laughs> the LSU Twitter account. I don't know if you saw this, I try and pick up on these little little things. We talked about Vandy tweeting out videos of AJ Swan before, like when he was still considered the backup, and he ends up starting. The LSU football account definitely put Coy Moore's name in that tweet on both of those turnovers, mm-hmm. and you cannot tell me that it wasn't directly related to what he said during the week. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's no doubt in my mind. You don't typically see that from an opposing team tweeting out the guy who was responsible for the turnover on the other team in a in a way like that. I, I, I don't know. That that just to me came off as, "Ooh, LSU is LSU's taking a little bit of extra joy out of this one with the way that that played out." And it was it was bad. It was it was a tough way for for him to go into that game developing as like like I was saying in the Midweek Pod, I think the guy that Robbie Ashford trusts the most and then to have those two turnovers Oh, that is uh that's brutal. That is, that is absolutely brutal. Really tough look for a kid who um, probably put his foot in his mouth a little bit, little you bit, you know,
1: you know, very tough week for him. I will right, we'll see where it responds, but speaking of people that want to be at LSU, how about Harold Perkins, my guy?
0: Oh yeah, that was, he was everywhere in the fourth yeah. quarter of that game. I mean, the, the former five stars very much looking like the part and finding a way to be able to play and what, you know, was a very talented front seven. I mean, that of all the questions we had about LSU, the front seven was not one of them. The fact that he's playing and not mm-hmm. only playing, but making an impact this early in his career. That's, that's a very positive sign. He of course had the interception of Moore, right place, right time. And on, on that one, but still not being fooled by that play guy's a player. LSU's got yeah. some studs in the front seven. We know that Ojalari has his Ojalari had the strip sack that kind of got them going. Jay Ward has the, the scoop and score in that one. And, You know, we talked about how both of these quarterbacks, man, say a prayer for them because the edge rushers they were going to have to face. (laughs) Oh, it was just a long didn't really
1: say a prayer for them. They're stuck in bad situations. Yeah, they are. But yeah, I think um, yeah, the LSU like Matt House showed me something, man. He showed me something in the Mississippi State game. He showed me something in this game in that you're gonna have things go sideways against this style, this team. Everything goes sideways against this team against this style of quarterback. It's just gonna happen, and you got to be able to respond. And the defense carried this team. I mean, despite giving up 17 straight points to Robbie yeah. Ashford and letting him get his foot under him, I think that there's a lot to love on the offensive side, or on the defensive side of the ball, for LSU. On the offensive side of the ball, if you're not screaming at Mike Denbrock, I don't know what you're doing because that guy, I mean, that, again, is he a Russian asset? The people are asking. Like they, He finds what works and then immediately is like, aha. I'm to do the opposite.
0: <laughs> just so the people know kind of what you're referring to when you when you say something like that. Will will text me during the middle of the game when somebody's doing something just like horribly wrong. And you could make you could make the case that like, oh, this this player, this coach looks like he's throwing the game. And Will's like, this guy's a spy. <laughs> <laughs> he yes. just he's all a, the time. he's
1: playing for the other team, Connor. I don't know what yeah. to tell you. Yeah. yeah. There's no it, other way to it. On on one side of it, we talked about Alabama that Nick Saban simply said, you know, running the ball into the end zone is the quickest way it can beat Arkansas. Let's just do that now. Oh, that's
0: it, pass on the two, or then they show Saban and he's like, run the effing ball.
1: <laughs> yes. It's, it's like you saw what it clicked for him. He yeah. was just like, Maybe I could just run the ball, that's it. That's all I need to do. And that's what he did. For for these OCs, it's like they're just and you it's so it's such an arms race in the SEC. It's so obvious when you have a coach that doesn't get it, you know. And like we talked about Lane, we've talked about hypo, guys that understand like kind of how to get your guys going and billy's in there too and just kind of knowing that lsu doesn't have one of those guys is really frustrating considering that a lot of these holes are being filled by some by some like really good players you know what i'm saying and like lsu seems to be coming together um i'll say this and stop talking as wild as these two games have been brian kelly 2-0 and in the sec west yeah somehow some way we are now sitting here he's about to eclipse his career sec win total
0: his first year at lsu LSU the last two years has not been able to win in the way that LSU has this year. They, yep. they, they did not necessarily have for, for the most part. And I know there, there are a few exceptions here. We're talking about, you know, the way that they came back against AM last year, all those things, those, that was, those that was gritty win. But for the most part, LSU when things have kind of gotten tough. They've kind of just said, yep, peace. I'm out of here. And instead yep. they find a way to win a game like this. And you see you know, Brody Miller tweeted out, like when Jay Daniels goes on IG live afterwards, he's celebrating with Kayshawn booty, which, that's good to see because on the field, it doesn't look like that connection is there at all. But you know what? This is kind of what you could ask for if you're an LSU fan. And you see what it looks like on the other sideline when those adjustments just aren't there and that belief. And it's it is got to be just a brutal, brutal time to be an Auburn fan. You see the looks in the crowd at Jordan Hare when, when things start to go south. And there's just this stunned glossed over look of like how is how is it this bad how is how has it quickly gotten to this level where look this was their first time leading by three scores against an fbs team since mississippi state last year man we know how that turned out yeah we also sure do. loss to continue to have this lack of adjustments you cannot i hate it and jimbo does this too and it bothers me you cannot continue to tell me when we see these trends playing out the way that they are and just say, oh, it's a lack of execution, mm-hmm. talent, scheme, these things matter. If you are not willing to take responsibility for these things as a head coach, you're doing your team a disservice and you're living in denial. And I think Brian Harson's biggest undoing, besides walking into a situation in which I was pretty much deck stacked against him. Mm-hmm. He also did not necessarily have the ability to recognize how to properly troubleshoot and how to recognize what he needs to be accountable for and what he can actually, what what he could actually fix over the course of the game. And even from a week to week basis, it's been really, really rough. And I hope better days are ahead for Auburn fans. They'll deserve better. So that, that atmosphere looked incredible. It looked incredible. Something too. I can't remember who tweeted out, but it was like, Imagine cutting into, they showed this view where the sun is just going down at Jordan hair and the sky's like orange and you're like, imagine mm-hmm. cutting into major league baseball game instead of watching this. <laughs> <game> right now. <laughs> so Gosh, true. that
1: was, I'm glad that we were all united against that. Yes. Um, but yeah, no, I think, I mean, that's why I haven't talked to Todd about Arson. It's just, you are where you are with Arson. You know, it's just, if it, nothing has really changed, that's I think change. that, yeah, I mean, it's, Probably going to sometime soon, yeah. but uh, yeah, point being, you know, I, I I hate to be this guy, but this is like we're aligned from the jump about Robbie Ashford. It appears that we're right. He is pretty clearly better than Finley, it, even in a situation where everything is breaking down around him. I mean, imagine if Finley plays that game like I, I as, as as bad as LSU played and I know how badly they played everything that Auburn got on this day was literally Robbie Ashford just chucking the ball down the field, making a play with his legs, like carrying them forward the way that Jaden has for LSU at some points, but he was very clearly the better quarterback in this game. It wasn't particularly close. And I think that if you're Auburn, you can at least say, Hey, we got that guy for a couple more years, whoever his coaches, his O.C. is, you know, they're on their third choice for O.C. this year. So you really, even if you like Brian Arson probably shouldn't be judging him off of this year. So yeah, I think that that's the bright spot, right? Is that Ashford's awesome. He's fun. It was his birthday. Happy birthday. He's a humble, happy lad from Hoover (laughs) high school. And
0: you know, Just a couple of Hoover high guys. That's why, you know, that's why you bang the drum for Robbie Ashford. Of course. Obviously. Well, also because I don't think Finley's any good.
1: Let's have a good yeah, show. Ashford. I think he's the best quarterback on the roster, but also Hoover highlights.
0: Ashford's got three years of eligibility left after this year. Keep that in mind. Yeah. Interesting.
1: That's the yeah. thing with Auburn fans. It's like, figure out your coach, figure out your OC, and you still have this. You can have this for a long time. If Until he goes to the NFL, if, if that's, if, you know, if that's, if, if it goes well and he leaves, that's great. Or, or if he's, if he's mid and you have him for three years, that's good too. You know, you, at least you have a guy.
0: Yeah. Um, one more thing that I want to get to, to to close this out here talking about the one loss teams in the SEC. But before we do that, this podcast was brought to you by No House Advantage. No House Advantage is changing the game by offering the most dynamic fantasy sports platform available today. Everybody loves these daily fantasy sites, be able to, 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 to go on your on your phone on a Saturday, on a Sunday, lock in some picks, be able to, to kind of root for your specific guys. It's an awesome way to be able to watch not just the NFL, but all sports. And with the legalization of gambling uh, in so many different states across the US, great to be able to get in on a platform like this. Playing pick-em contests versus other people for the shot at winning $250,000 plus in cash. Download the app, choose a contest, select your player props, earn points for correct picks, and climb the leaderboard for your shot to win big money every day. You can also test your skills versus the house and win 20 times your entry if you hit all of your picks. Bet on up to five player props or over-unders or individual player matchups across every major sports league, including NFL, NBA, MLB, PGA, MMA, and NASCAR. Sign up now with promo code STOCHASTIC. That's S-T-O k-a-s-t-i-c that's s-t-o-k-a-s-t-i-c do that at nohouseadvantage.com or download the app on the app stores to get a first deposit match up to $25 make sure to check out no house advantage today and experience daily fantasy sports redefined because it's not just how you play but also where you play you won't want to miss out on this three one loss teams in the sec who's the best one kentucky mississippi state lsu Mississippi State, LSU, have the head-to-head. It's in Death Valley. Again, we kind of talked about felt like Mississippi State was the better team for the majority of that game, so that's at least a discussion. You will catch me telling you that LSU is legitimately better than Mississippi State on this podcast. Okay, so I would probably still have Kentucky at number one with a healthy Chris Rodriguez. That's – I would yeah. still put put Kentucky in that group, a team that has a, a top twenty defense. That game, by the way, where Jacquez Jones was kind of in and out of the lineup, he got hurt like three different times in uh-huh. that game against his former team, which was was tough to see. But at that point, you're you're without three of your starters and in, in the front seven. And you know what? I thought Kentucky, all things considered, to show up the way that they did against the run was was darn impressive, and they can beat you in a mm-hmm. few different ways. So that's why I give Kentucky the edge there when when they have now Chris Rodriguez back and their run game isn't going to be a total liability. And then i probably go Mississippi State, then LSU, which is a weird thing to say because LSU's the only one of those three who's undefeated in the SEC, and they mm-hmm. beat Auburn, and they beat Mississippi State. And to have two wins in the SEC West, Joel Clapp might disagree with this, but not an easy thing to do. <laughs> not easy at all. Do you, do you agree with that ranking, or would you shuffle one of those?
1: Yeah, I mean, when you look at, you know, Mississippi State at home against AM completely blew their doors off. And then LSU at home against Mississippi State needed an incredible fourth Again, LSU woke up for the fourth quarter, but that, it's, it's like, how about this? It's how much do you trust these teams, right? And for Kentucky, it's how are they going to lose? Well, they're either going to turn the ball over, probably. So that Honestly, between C Rod and Will Levis, yep. if they keep, if they win the turnover battle, they're probably winning the game against even pretty good teams. So, boom, there's, That's that. (laughs) Um, Mississippi State, can the other team figure out the air raid? Well, it turns out Matt Matt House could. So that was pretty much the end of that for LSU. Their offensive horrible against LSU, and it's looked way better against everybody else. Okay, boom. LSU, it's like, well, (laughs) you need to – Basically not le- – you You got to stop the other team from scoring more than 20 points and then you got to come all the way back. And when your offense does decide to kind of wake up, you also need some voodoo to kind of like get that going. And so, yeah, like, again, I'm a realist. I think I'm blown away by what, the fight this team has showed. The fact that all the slander for Brian Kelly was that he couldn't recruit and that he was this lazy stick-in-the-mud boomer and then he has this team that's fighting like harder than Coach O's teams did, which what can people say good about Coach O? He got the boys motivated. This is the most motivated I've, point. I've seen LSU outside yeah. of 2019, where they had some motivating factors going on there. So it's it's one thing, and we've seen this with these five-star guys at different programs all over the SEC. You know, you bring these guys in, and we talked about with Luther Burton. You bring these guys in, you start struggling. How do they respond for LSU? Brian Kelly in his like hard-nosed approach, so I said wouldn't work, is why they've been in these games, but at the same time. You know, against an Alabama, even against like an Arkansas, if you give up 21 points, dude, you're cooked. You're not coming back.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, I think these three. Um, well, I don't. I don't know if I'm willing to go there just yet. With mm. I don't know if I'm willing to go there just yet with Ellis. I don't think I can get there with LSU to say I think they're going. I think they have New Year's Six bowl upside. I don't think this team is quite Listen, on that. Here's level. the best part. We'll know this weekend. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. That's a really good point because, well, not again, maybe we won't because actually at LSU <laughs> losing or beating Tennessee yep. in that game in the preseason and then still um, coming out with seven and five in the regular season. So I don't know that that's all of a sudden going to sway me either. might pick LSU. I'm probably going to pick LSU to win that game outright. A little spoiler alert for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think it's interesting that I think you can make the case that half of the SEC right now, those three teams and then the four unbeaten with Ole Miss Tennessee, Bama, Georgia. Mm-hmm. They all kind of have this path to huh. <laughs> a path to that's what you really hope for. <laughs> well, Georgia, Georgia and Bama, diff, different category. Tennessee, Tennessee, Ole Miss, pr- pretty much in that same discussion, I think, with Kentucky, Mississippi State, LSU. Right. Mm-hmm. I think all I think those five are in really similar territory. We saw the play out with Kentucky and Ole Miss. We saw the play out with LSU and Mississippi State as well in, in that game. And I think all five of those teams, I would kind of clump into that that second tier. I would still have Bama in Georgia in the top tier in the conference just because I think, yeah, while they have their scares so far, who hasn't had a scare yet? You know, man. Yeah. You know, Ohio state struggled to pull away from Notre Dame and a Notre Dame team that hasn't turned out to be particularly good. So I think you can kind of pick apart so many different teams right now, but I think as we head into the second week of October, that's where I would stand. I would rank the one loss teams in the sec, Kentucky, Mississippi state, then LSU and Kentucky and Mississippi state are going to face each other. So let's kind of see the way that that plays out in Lexington. That game's not coming up for, for a little bit. I can't remember when that game's coming up, but yeah, that'll be a really good one when that comes. Mm -hmm. Great slate next week. Awesome slate. Really, really good. Um, we're going to have a great, great in-depth breakdown of a lot of different things in the sec with the midweek pod, still figuring out who we're going to get on. There's somebody that I have in mind that has been at a lot of these games. That's going to be able to provide a little bit more context for the sideline mood that I want to dig into for some of those second tier teams in the sec. If you have not leave us a five-star review, subscribe, join the Facebook group here named red on air with figuring out or bold and brash. Thanks guys. Talk soon.